Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for this Lord's Day, and we thank You for this class. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the specific book of Proverbs. We thank You for the wisdom that You have given these sages to craft this language, to convey Your wisdom, godly wisdom to us, Your people. We thank You that as Your Word is indeed living and active, that as that double-edged sword, it does its work even in the Proverbs. We thank You for this and pray today that You will indeed do Your work through the power of Your Holy Spirit on us, Your people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so just a quick review from last week uh, and the question of how is understanding sometimes witnessed as others Uh, You may recall that last week uh, we're taking the the, the viewpoint of that we are the observer. We're watching and paying attention to how we see godly wisdom demonstrated for us. And what we saw is that we see it in others in their silence. We see it in others in their peacefulness. We see it in others in their wisdom. We see it in others in their righteousness or their morally upright conduct. We see it in others in their teachableness. And then we see it in others in their discernment. Today, what we're going to look at are and conclude with are the benefits of understanding. And this, uh, of course, is, is one of those areas where it almost seems so obvious that we... Um, Maybe could just pass over this, uh, but I think also we take for granted the understanding that we glean from God's Word. So let's look at these topics today, starting with the second half of verse 5 of the second chapter. Then, So I'm, I'm chapter 2, verse 5, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. Now, context. Remember that chapter 1 and chapter 2 are both personifying wisdom and in that teaching us about this godly wisdom. And so I'm not going to take us through all of those verses in chapter 2. What I am going to point out is that one of the benefits of uh, understanding is the fear of the Lord or godly Fear, godly fear. Now we've talked about this before. In fact, uh, I had uh, the focus of, of one class almost specifically on this, so we're not going to, to belabor this. But when we talk about the fear of the Lord, when we talk about godly fear, wh- wh- how would if, 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 a, uh, if an unbeliever comes to you and says, uh, I visited your church last Sunday and I, I heard a reference to the fear of God or the fear of the Lord, and that doesn't sound very good to me. Uh, what is godly fear? How would you explain that to an unbeliever? How would you explain godly fear to someone? How else? Okay, so in, in, in one way, it's it, to, to fear God is to turn from our sin, understanding that incorporated in that fear is a right understanding of His mercy and grace. Is that a fair summary of what you just said? Okay, what else? That brings a 
Yeah. I mean, when the two words you just pulled out there, too, keep in mind that, that that's a paraphrase of Scripture, uh, that we are to worship the Lord in reverence and awe. And so, so it's, it's, as Roger pointed out, it's a right understanding of our relationship with God, but so also it incorporates a right response because we can... We can know God is a gracious God. Uh, we can know that we're recipients of His mercy, and we can not exercise reverence and awe. Uh, what is awe, incidentally, as that word is translated in the New Testament? What is, what is awe? What does it mean to be in awe of God? Yeah, of, of with who who he is. Yeah, so we've ruined a, a perfectly good word in the English language, and that is the word awesome. Uh, so, did you see that ball game yesterday? Did you see that key play? It was awesome. Well, it, so if you if any of you are readers of the the, the Puritans, you, you you know that they do use that word, and they don't mean it in a colloquial way like we do, right? When they say awesome, they mean what? fall prostrate, prostrate before the Lord in absolute, as John said just a minute ago, in, in honor and in magnitude to your word, magnitude of who God is. As uh, is, is, is someone said to me uh, before, you know, uh, I can't wait to get to heaven. I've got all these series of questions that I'm going to ask God. It's the first thing I'm going to do when I get there. And I'm like, nah, I don't think so. I don't think so. I'm going to probably hold those questions for a couple of thousand years. I'll, I'll bet the first thing you're going to do is the exact thing for which He created you to do, and I bet it's not going to be a Q&A session. Yeah. Yeah, Randy? Well, I think a couple of things. So... And I'm going to try to not overly analytically explain this in the sense of translation. Keep in mind that when a, when a word like that is, is used, um, that's the word that's translated. So it's not like the translators are, are um, trying to, to find a word that fits. Uh, the word that's used in the, in the Hebrew, uh, that's literally the word for, for fear. So... So you wouldn't change it, even though we know like in, in awesome, I don't know that awesomes ever shows up in the, in the scriptures, probably doesn't, but we, we can see how words can, can change their, their, their meaning in that sense. But there are certain words within scripture where you, you, you can't change them. So for, for example, if, 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 if our culture wants to take a, a, a word and um, absolutely run that word and run away with it, we, we, could, we could borrow another word to, to replace it. But in, in the sense of certain key words within Scripture, they are what they are, and so we just have to be faithful to define them as Scripture does. So I think the answer to your question is not necessarily why we would use that word, but better yet, how does God use that word? That's, that's really the, the, the better question, because if that is the word, it is fear, 
but the better question is, how is it different and distinct from the way that fear is used elsewhere in Scripture? And I'll give you a perfect example to step from the Old Testament into the New. When, when Paul writes that God did not give us a spirit of fear, uh, a, a, a non-Bible student would go, well, see, Scripture contradicts Scripture. But those of us who study the Word know, no, there's two different kinds of fear. There's a godly fear, and then there's a sinful fear. There's a fear that we're really not supposed to have. We're not supposed to fear man. Uh, we're not supposed to fear the devil in the, in the sense of him having this all-powerful sort of godlike uh, power over us. So we're not supposed to fear man. We're not supposed to fear the devil. Uh, so, but in the sense of godly fear... The question there becomes, uh, as God uses it, as, as He has inspired Scripture, what does He mean by it? And, 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 and the idea that's conveyed there uh, is in that, that, to go back to those two words, that we're to, um, to see God for who He is, how he, is, he has revealed Himself in Scripture, and our response to Him because fear is a response, our response to Him, that fear is to behold Him and to respond with reverence and with awe. So you think about it this way, and I'll, I'll land the plane here. Think about a bit about when the Israelites were at the base of Mount Sinai and all of these supernatural events are occurring, uh, you know, the, the lightning and the thunder and the, the, the smoke descending upon Mount Sinai, and there's the I always smile when I think about it. There's this blasting trumpet, just like nonstop, which I think would be just frightening in itself. And, uh, and, and, and the people go to Moses and they go, and I'm, this is John's Arkansas paraphrase, whatever you do, don't let God speak to us. You speak to us, but if God speaks to us, we're going to die. Well, that's... In that moment, they got the picture of reverence and awe. They're, they're so fearful, rightfully so, of God that they want there to be some kind of mediator between God and man. So now I'm going to start preaching the gospel because we are able to call God Abba, Father, not because He is any less awesome but be, or, or to be feared, but only because our mediator is Christ. So we, we're able to approach Him like a father, but our, our response to Him is still to be one of godly fear. Does that help at all? No? Not help. Okay. Yes? Yeah. 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 To to fear God is to realize we we are the created, or as the psalmist says, to 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 he knows that we are but dust, and to acknowledge that. And um, I think that's right. And I think that's kind of what Roger was getting at too, is just, you know, understanding that we're the recipients of God's mercy, uh, not something that we've earned or merited. Yes? So your example of the Israelites at the base of Mount Sinai, they had fear for the 
Okay, so great example. So I'll go back to, to, to my example of, of why they turn to the mediator and why that's the perfect example. And, and this is why it's really hard for us to understand this in modern culture, especially in a culture that's just so incredibly flippant about anything having to do with God. The right response of someone who does, is not a recipient of God's mercy and grace in the mediation of Christ should be absolute sheer terror. A fear that would lead them to literally die of panic and sheer ter terror. The difference for that is, is God is no less God, but when we in Christ understand that's who God is, but we are able to come into right relationship with who that terrible God is, that awful God, to use J.D.'s example from the Puritans, that when we're able to come through Christ into right relationship with Him, that experience of what the Israelites had is still right, but it makes us value, appreciate, and acknowledge the gospel even more. That's, right. That's a great way to put it. Yeah, fear is a reverence and awe without the terror, but only without the terror because of Christ. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Well, we see that even with, with, with the angels. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, 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 you know, angels are not made in the image of man. I mean, the image of God. We are made in the image of God. Angels are not. And yet, it was such a, a magnificent sight to behold. That's right. So, chasing that rabbit all the way back to the hole, what in the world does understanding have to do with godly fear? Well, for sake of time, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain that. So, understanding then, remember all the way back to what's the definition of understanding and the root word of both the noun and the verb, go back to this idea of understanding the plans and processes to be able to construct something. When you and I have this right understanding of God, it impacts our lives. If, if we have a right fear of God, it will A, lead us to a right reverence, I promise, and I've said this before, and maybe this is picking on certain churches and styles and non-denoms, but I have said it before and I'll go on record on video of saying, is that someone who has a right reverence and awe of God isn't going to show up with a t-shirt that says, God is my homeboy. They're not going to show up with this lax and flippant attitude like, yo, God's my Abba and all this kind of nonsense, a right, reverent understanding of God leads us to fall face down before Him. And the only reason we're able to get up is because Christ is our mediator. The only reason we don't fear hearing the Word of God, the only reason why, and, and now I'm preaching, right? But you op an unbeliever opens the Bible, should absolutely scream and run in terror away from the Word of God, but for Christ. But for the Christ, that's nourishment for my soul. In Christ, the Word of God is rich 
and nourishing and a blessing. And I've I got to stop preaching. You're going to get my whole sermon here on Sunday morning. Uh, but, but understanding God, the understanding that God gives us, the wisdom of understanding, means that we have a right view of God, a right understanding, to continue to use that word, of God, and that's a benefit. That's, that's the point I'm getting at is one of the great benefits of understanding is godly fear. Maybe we should have just moved that right to the beginning of this lesson on understanding, uh, right? A second area is godly knowledge. Godly knowledge. Look again at the abbreviated quote that I have here, but it's the rest of verse uh, 5 in chapter 2 of Proverbs. So it starts, Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find, key word there, find the knowledge of God. How, how does understanding lead to a finding of the knowledge of God? Well, again, think back to the understanding. What does understand or understanding mean as a noun or, or verb? The, the general idea there is that as we are able to understand the things of God, so also that blesses us with a godly knowledge. I mean, you think about it this way. For those of you that have been uh, believers for, for a number of years, and, and, and you look back at, at what the Holy Spirit has given you and blessed you with and the knowledge that He has, has given you uh, from God and how that's been a blessing to your life, how that's been a benefit. You have, if someone comes to you and says, uh, since the last 35 years since you became a Christian, has, uh, has, has God blessed your life with a greater understanding of who He is and of His Word? I mean, not to start preaching again, but like the answer for every born-again Christian should be, oh yeah, oh yeah. It's like a, a friend of mine said is, I don't want the, my Christian life to be one step forward and three steps back. I want to every year grow in the knowledge of who God is and of, of His Word. And, and one of the ways that we do that is through understanding. A third way, and I'm, I'm having to move just a little bit quicker here to get us to the end, but number three is protection. One of the benefits of understanding is protection. Uh, Proverbs 2.11 Discretion will watch over you understanding will guard you. Okay, so again, he's using these words figuratively, uh, but in general, what is the sage teaching us here? What does he mean by understanding will guard over you? Is he talking about some kind of security system? Is he talking about loaded weapons? I mean, what in the world is he talking about here? What does he mean understanding will guard over you? What's that? Yeah, an understanding of, 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 of obedience, an understanding of how God wants us to live our, our lives, a right understanding of, of His ways, that in turn protects us, right? I mean, you think about how over and over again in the Proverbs, it's teaching us that 
we are, we, God has designed, His economy is such that He has designed it where wise living, in essence, is rewarded, foolish living is punished. Again, a myriad of examples of how that's not always the case, but universally so, consistently so, that's the way that God, in the end, has designed things. And so that understanding acts like a, a protector over us. And as we grow in our godly understanding, it guards us. What sort of things would it guard us from? And I, the obvious one to your example would be sin uh, in general. But what, what does understanding guard us from? Okay, yeah, a right understanding of the gospel would keep us uh, from uh, hell, from eternal death. That's, that's a good one. I hadn't thought about that one. What else? Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to, under right understanding is going to keep us from foolish things. Uh, there's a, a certain blessing that comes from that pause of understanding uh, to J.D.'s quote, to, to not rush in to foolish things. So in, in general, what we see here is that it offers, a, a gives us the blessing of protection. And I have to think that the, the idea to elaborate on is that that protection comes as we grow in our, our understanding. Number four. Blessing. Blessing. Proverbs 3.13 Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. Okay, so the two verbs there, finds and gets, but the idea is it's something that you search for and it's something that you, you find. But in general, to focus on, on this, this topic, is blessed is the one who gets understanding. And the general idea here is that as we grow in our understanding, as we grow in understanding of God and of His Word, that that's a blessing to us. And, and again, I know that sounds like stating the obvious, but I would draw your attention to how contrary that is to the way of the world. That, that, that's my point in highlighting this. That is so contrary. If, if, if you go to someone who is antagonistic to Christianity and you say to them, the greatest blessing I had this year was reading through the Bible and faithfully studying His Word you're probably going to get a response, something like, oh, that's so sad. You live such a sad life, such a sad person, right? I mean, it's almost going to be like pity, like we're the village idiot because we favor the blessing of God's Word, right? And, and so I, I, I feel like in stating the obvious, I'm also sort of calling a spade a spade, Blessing comes as we gain understanding. Understanding comes from God. Number five, wisdom. I know at this point you're thinking, John, you're claiming all the low-hanging fruit in the Proverbs. Well, maybe I am, but all of these include the term of understanding. Proverbs 10.23, Doing wrong is like a joke to a fool, but wisdom is pleasure to a man of understanding. Now let's pause here and unpack this proverb. So first of all, doing wrong is like a joke to a fool. What does that mean? 
And everybody in here knows what that means. So I'm going to help you if you need me to unpack the, the, the poetic uh, structure of this proverb. But take a stab at it. What is, what is doing wrong is like a joke to a fool. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly. We see that, don't we? I mean, somebody does something wrong, and it's like a badge of honor. Um, you see this in, this is, this is where it's easy to point this out in the world. So everybody right now probably has like 10 examples in the world racing through your mind. But you also see this in the church. I mean, the, the, what I call the grace-only movement, and it, and it, and it got kind of, kind of popular briefly in, in, in our, our denomination. I'm hoping it's, it's dying an agonizingly slow death uh, at this time, and I think it is. Uh, but it's this, this idea that there's some sort of like, um, uh, I, I'm being authentic. I'm being transparent by, by just telling you about my, my sin, and, and somehow that the gospel is exalted the more sinful I am. Now, they would never say that, but their behavior is such. And I, I have seen brothers preach sermons in which it is as if sin is exalted so the gospel can be exalted. And I'm like, that's not how it works. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may abound? Romans chapter 6, verse 1, verse 2. By no means. We've died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? You know, I just don't even get it. And yet, right? Yeah, this is, this is going to be the one, the little snippet, the video that goes viral on YouTube. Uh, but, but the general idea is exactly this is that doing wrong, they've turned it into some kind of badge of honor, some kind of joke, like somehow Christ is exalted. The more hammerlock drunk I get. No, doesn't work like that. In fact, you're the fool for thinking that. And that's the general idea that the sage is painting here. The real fool is the one who sees doing wrong as something that's funny or favorable. But look at the second clause in this. Wisdom is pleasure to a man of understanding. And I want to bring to your attention a couple of, of, of key points in interpreting this. First of all, who is the person we're talking about? Stating the obvious, all you got to do is read it. Who's the person we're talking about? The man of understanding, person of understanding, right? So how might we characterize this person? Someone that has such understanding of the Lord and His ways that he's characterized by it, right? That's what the sage means when he, he lists something like this. It's a characterization. So this is something, uh, this is a person that, that we would highly regard, a man of, of understanding or person of understanding. But what does it tell us about this person who is characterized by understanding? One of the ways that we see that he or she is characterized by understanding is they consider wisdom a pleasure. Now, now think about that. Pleasure is something that we desire. We want pleasure. Hedonists thrive. They're consumed with pleasure. But what do we, as people of wisdom, what are we to find pleasurable? Wisdom, as opposed to foolishness. 
So the general idea is, is that in understanding, we are displaying that understanding and, in fact, showing that we are gaining understanding as our appetites change, right? You think about this when you, when you became a, a believer and uh, depending on, and on what age you were and, and you think back how your appetites changed and how some things that were just so appealing to you before I mean, I, you see this before, and this is sort of the, the classic example, and I've, I've witnessed this more as a, as a pastor, and I'm, I'm smiling because I think it's beautiful, and, and, and also just, I, I find delight in it. And I'll be talking to a Christian, and, and they will be talking about something in, in our culture that they find so vile and offensive that people just seem to uh, uh, love and cling to, and so forth and so on. And, and, and I'll just think in my mind, and I'm not meaning like that, you know, weirdo evangelical church lady, you know, the, the old Saturday Night Live skit. I'm not talking about that person. I'm talking about somebody that really displays just a beautiful demonstration of sanctification in their life. And I'll just think, how lovely that is. How lovely it is to see someone whose appetite for the world is seemingly disappearing. And that's as it should be, right? So a man of understanding has pleasure in wisdom. And then finally, it, uh, uh, the blessing or benefit of understanding is knowledge. Knowledge. Proverbs 14.6 A scoffer seeks wisdom in vain, but knowledge is easy. For a man of understanding, why does a why is the scoffer not going to be rewarded with uh, seeking wisdom, finding wisdom? Scoffer seeks it, perhaps. I mean, this is somewhat of a play on words because really there are other proverbs that tell us the scoffer is not going to seek for wisdom anyway. But go ahead and follow the the poetic device that the sage is using here. Uh, why is the scoffer seeking wisdom in vain? That's right. That's right. Yeah. It's a mockery. What's that? It's like an automatic reaction for the scoffer, right? Yeah. That's right. Yeah. I mean, in essence, that is the scoffer, isn't it? Someone who who indeed will, once found, scoff at the wisdom of, of God. Now look at the second clause. But knowledge is easy for a man of understanding. What does it mean, easy? What, how is, how is, how is uh, knowledge easy? What does the sage mean by that? Does this mean that someone who has godly understanding uh, needs to go back to school because they are going to ace all the tests? No, nope, not talking about that kind of knowledge, right? So we're talking about godly knowledge, right? But knowledge is easy for a man. So to help you here as you're thinking through this, so think about the, the language that the sage uses in the first half. The scoffer is seeking. So it is a pursuit. The, uh, the idea in the second clause is wisdom is found or in this case, knowledge is found and 
it is easy, meaning that it's understandable. Someone who, who has godly understanding uh, doesn't sit there and, and wrestle over the essence of godly knowledge. It's, it's easy for them. They understand. And you think about this in, in your own life. There are certain things that you understand as a Christian and as someone who has been converted, who has the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. You think about this. There are some things that are just so incredibly easy for you that others that are unbelievers, they, they, they don't get it all. I was visiting with somebody in my, in my office a, a, about a, a month ago and... Um, they, they don't uh, believe the gospel, and uh, I, I was talking to them about some different things, and then I, I shared the, the, the gospel with them. And just the basics of what I shared with that person, it, there was no openness to it. In fact, no, no desire to even engage in it, even the terminology and talking about it and responding to it. It was, it was just sort of an, an offense, and they were polite to me, and uh, it was not a, a controversial meeting, but it was not easy for that person to understand just the basic knowledge that you and I have in terms of, of understanding uh, the gospel. And so that comes by God's grace, and it's a gift from God. Well, here's how we're going to end. There's just two more, and I've got two minutes, so we'll move quickly. What are the characteristics then of those who lack understanding? Well, I could have used a lot of different Proverbs. I chose two topics and two Proverbs. That is, they are foolish and they are cruel. Proverbs 18.2, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding. Note how that is distinctly uh, opposed to the man of understanding, right? A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. <laughs> and, I mean, I'm laughing. I mean, you don't even have to raise your hand. All of us have been in the presence of a fool, right? So, someone who takes no pleasure in godly understanding, but they have plenty to say and plenty to talk about, and they want to tell you their opinion on everything. This is, a, I imagine some of you don't encounter this like I do. So when you're the pastor, and they find out, and I try to keep this hidden, you know, like go covert, and people find out you're a pastor, I mean, like changes everything. And then sometimes people will find out that I am a traditional uh conservative Presbyterian, and then all of a sudden they want to express their opinion in opposition to my theology. And I'll be like, I, I just, just want to live the day. I'm not here to debate theology with you and whatever your opinion is on whatever. I just want to, to go on down the road, right? But you see this all the time, and people want to take offense. I had one delivery guy who wanted to debate the King James Version only with me in my driveway. I'm like, dude, just give me the gift and leave. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, don't let it out. I'm a pastor, right? And then cruel, Proverbs 28, 16. A ruler who lacks understanding is a cruel oppressor, but he who hates unjust gain will prolong his days. What does it mean a ruler who lacks understanding is a cruel oppressor? 
Well, for sake of time, I'm going to explain this. There's a lot in the Proverbs that have to tell us about rulers, those who are in authority in government. And the idea is, is that one who has understanding, they know what the people need, they know how the people need it, so forth and so on. But one who is a fool, one who doesn't have understanding, instead of just being incompetent, it's the actual opposite, it's the actual opposite of blessing, it's oppression. They oppress the people because of their lack of understanding. Uh, and then, of course, the last part of this, though not part of our study, he who hates unjust gain will prolong his days. Again, not a promise, but it gives us an insight uh, into that person's life. Well, that concludes our study of understanding. We'll move on to our next topic uh, the second Sunday in January. Let me pray for us. Our Heavenly Father, we do desire to be a people of understanding. And we do thank you that by the blessing of your gospel, that we are indeed a people who understand your grace, your mercy to us in Christ. And we pray that we also in our lives would demonstrate a godly wisdom in the way that we live, in the way that we talk, and the way that we interact with others, both believers and unbelievers. And we pray that you would help us to grow as to be characterized as a people of understanding. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.